This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Hello and welcome into episode 219 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Bridget Prue here with Scott McLaughlin. Brian is on vacation this time. He's, he's what, St. Martin? I believe he's in St. Martin. I think so, uh, yeah. Getting tan uh, and taking that last vacation before the season starts, which is what we all have kind of been doing. Uh, so Le- Legitimately he- just stunning, though, that he takes vacation the week after a brand new Bruins jersey drops, which we'll definitely get to later. But, He's uh, upset about that. and <laughs> I know. like the, the, This is his Stanley Cup final. It, it really is because and if you – Let's just start with the jerseys. Um, they, they unveiled the new Centennial. The, there's a few different uh, jerseys for the Centennial season. But the one that stands out to me is the one that they've been publicizing more, which is the the sparkly one. The one that has a spoked B. It's a spoked B, but the gold is a sparkly gold. Yeah, I mean the home and road like both have it. It, it. I think it stands out more in the home against the black, but yeah, the the road white has it too. Um, yeah, so I guess my take on it is, I like them. I don't love them. Uh, not a huge fan of of the sparkles. I'm not a huge fan of all the stripes in the sleeves. It, it feels like now I usually like stripes. Like I'm I'm pro stripes. But that feels like double the amount that it should be. And it's not. I don't really think it ties to like any past Bruins jersey because like I was going through them and not like unless you go way, way back to when like the whole jersey was striped uh, in like the 20s or 30s or whatever. None of them have had that many stripes on the arm. Like it's always been like five or so, like one in the middle. They're not tigers. White layer. Yeah. Ruins are not tigers, they're bears. True. Yeah, bears don't have stripes. Don't think bears have stripes. Pandas, yeah, no. maybe the the little the, the red pandas, do they have stripes? I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. No. <laughs> um that definitely not not Bruins, they're not black bears, and they, they don't have stripes. Um but yeah, so I I those are the two things, and I think those have been the two things that have probably drawn the most criticism is the stripes on the arms and the glittery gold. And those would be the two things that I don't love, but that said, like, I don't hate either of them either. And I do like the shoulder. Like I like the plain shoulders. I like getting, uh, because that's a look that the Bruins have had a lot through their history. And obviously not as much in recent times where they've always had the, yet the yellow either, you know, like the new ones where it's just on the shoulder or, the nineties version where the yellow went like all the way down the arm. Um, so I, I like that part of it, but the, yeah, like the, the, the gold color, it's also kind of, you know, it's a little off. It's like the, the Bruins have always been, it's really more yellow. Like it's yellow gold and this is like true gold. Um, so they, they seem just like a little off. And I know, you know, when, when we had talked to Brian about it, like he, he was excited because a lot of it sort of reminded you like some of the leaks and even the Bruins sort of 
their little teaser trailer that they posted a couple days ahead of time. It reminded you of the like 80s jerseys. And I, I knew they weren't going to be the exact same. Like they weren't going to be straight throwbacks to any one era. I knew there were going to be something new that, you know, would incorporate kind of different stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I, th- I also think. I think I'm probably going to like them more once I see them on the ice and game action. But I've already, I feel like they've already grown on me a little from when I first saw them. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I like Bruins jerseys. I like sparkles. I'm not sure I like them together. <laughs> but, but they've grown on me in, over the past few days, just a little bit. Seeing Marshawn unveiled as the captain with those jerseys on, it wasn't as noticeable as maybe when they unveiled it and they had closer up shots of it that it looked more like actually legitimately sparkly like a dress I would wear to the Centennial Gala or something like that. Uh, just just like, Scott, your your sparkly dresses that we know you have. Um, but, I mean, when I showed my mom that, she's like, oh, that's a nice, like, woman's jersey. I said, no, that's that's theme jersey this year. Um, yeah, in person, I, I can't wait to see them actually worn. And the other thing I noticed about the jerseys was, was it the road alternate? Or yeah, the, the, the third. The cream? They haven't said if it's going to be home road. It might be a little of both, but yeah, that that third jersey, I, I love that one. That's like immediately one of my favorite Bruins alternates. Yeah, it's 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 definitely off color than than what they've done. Like it's more of the old school, like cream white uh, compared to like a straight white, and um, the the brown in it and the yellow in it are not exactly like the tra- the Bruins colors you're used to seeing over the past say ten years. Besides their throwback stuff, you pulling it up, Scott? Yeah. You looking? At it? I was, yeah. I was gonna. You got me a little off guard. Yeah, I was gonna pull it up, but yeah, no, I I do really like that one, and I like the yellow on. I like the old school logo. Um, you know the the 1924 in the middle there. Like, I saw some people who like didn't really like that, but I'm like, for a hundred years, that need to have like like yeah, absolutely yeah yeah throw the year on there. That's fine. Um, yeah, I think those ones, those ones are going to look sharp and I believe, you know, I believe these are going to be like the only three jerseys they wear this year, unless something else comes down the line that we don't know about, but, um, well, you know what? I don't like that. Cause I like Pooh Bear. And yeah, no, I think I yeah, like Pooh Bear, my initial idea was like, especially when they're, where they're doing these eras nights is like, I wanted them to wear jerseys from that era, like for all of them. But that wouldn't be like nine new jerseys or, you know, nine jerseys like in the rotation. There would be unlimited fashion segments on the skate pot. True. Yeah. And that so like, be... I, I think I think that would have been cool. But um, is it like yeah, with, with, with the Aris tour? But this exactly. is the Aris tour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I love that third. And I would say right now I'm sort of at like a. 7.5 for the for the other two but i could i can definitely see that growing on me though especially as we see them out on the ice and in game action yeah i can't wait to get brian's reaction because i don't i don't take him to be a big sparkles guy i don't know about you but um maybe i'm wrong though he does like to quote 
um, some some movies and like he likes to talk about, uh, you know, some female singers every once in a while. <laughs> you never know what he's going to say. So we'll see. We'll wait for him to get back from St. Martin. Uh, I don't think he has service there at all because it's like a French island slash a Dutch island. And <laughs> I don't know if we can even get in. I don't even know if he knows what they look like. So uh, maybe there's going to be a surprise for him when he comes back to the U.S. Yeah, and maybe he can he can give us a review speaking. Yeah, French or you Dutch. know what it was. You know what it was that he he quotes Mean Girls a lot. That's true. Yeah, yeah. maybe he's gonna like it. <laughs> I'm I'm predicting he's gonna be in like roughly the same camp as me, but but we'll see. Um, I feel like I'd be a little surprised either way if he either completely loves them and has like no issues, or if he hates them. I feel like he's going to be somewhere in between like like I am, but we'll have to see. There's Bridget, what's it called? Teasing, teasing to a next episode. Is that that vertical tease? Is that what that is? <laughs> the tease? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're both in radio. We don't know. <laughs> I, I only host one hour a week and for like four months. So I don't, I don't know these things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that that's probably enough for, for, for Jersey talk, though. We can yeah. get into we can get into a start of training camp because the Bruins reported to Warrior Ice Arena on Wednesday, which, you know, the big news of that day, in addition to everyone reporting, was obviously Brad Martian being named captain, as you already mentioned. And we will be getting into that as well. But then Thursday was first practice. And uh, I was there for it. It was split into two groups. One went on the ice at 10 a.m., one at noon, just because there's there's too many people to have everyone on the ice at once. I think I think the Bruins have like 32 forwards, 18 defensemen, and six goalies in camp. So it makes a lot more sense to split that up into two sessions, which they'll do, you know, for probably roughly two weeks, maybe a week and a half before they start to make some cuts and send guys back. Um but yeah, there were you know, I think maybe like the most notable thing that jumps out right away is the line combinations that Montgomery chooses to go with, which if people remember, he what he did last year is the same thing he did day one this year, which is he puts promising young players, he puts them with established NHLers because he wants to see how they're going to play there. Because if those sure you can he could put together all the lines he expects to use on opening night and then throw all the prospects together. But if any of those prospects are going to make the team, they're not playing with other prospects. So Montgomery likes to throw them right in, see how they play with NHLers. And so you ended up with Fabian Lysel on a line with Brad Marchand and Charlie Coyle. Uh, Georgie Merkulov was centering Jake DeBrusque and Danton Heinen. Uh, that was in the group A, the first session. Second group, Matthew Poitra centering David Postenock and Jesper Boquist. Mark McLaughlin was with Pavel Zaka and James Van Riemsdyk. So you see, you know, like all these lines have, in some cases, like two guys that you expect to actually be on a line together come opening night, other than, you know, probably Boquist and Postenock. I wouldn't expect that to be a line, but um, would, instead, would instead expect Postenock to be with Ben Reamsdyke and Zaka. Um, 
but yeah, it's always just interesting to to see that and see, you know, who he chooses to put up with those guys. And in this case, it's it's three prospects who are probably the most skilled offensive players in Lysel, Merkulov, and Poitra. Although actually, I should correct myself because Steve Conroy asked Poitra today how you pronounce mm-hmm. his name, and he said Poitra, not Poitra. So like it okay. French-ish, but not not the full French. Um, so I'm gonna have to get used to it because I I was saying Poitra for a long time. I'm gonna so have get... to ask him myself as as a French Canadian descendant with a very French name. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was standing like, right there. Sure? So I, I, are you sure it's it's Patra? <laughs> yeah, I was I was standing right there. And... Otherwise, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and then and then McLaughlin, who you know is seemed close to making the team last year, obviously has played some NHL games. So, um, you know, I guess another chance to kind of see how, how he plays in, in that sort of role. Yeah. When I was looking at the lines and, and you noted in one of your tweets, when you were putting the lines out for everybody to see today that, you know, this is just what Montgomery does. Don't read into it. And, you know, even the players mentioned, including uh, Patra, that he wasn't reading much into it either. But when you, when you put, players like him uh, and Lysel next to the core Bruins players uh, that have the the talent that Pasternak has uh, and Marshawn has, you get a chance to see maybe more of a ceiling of what somebody like Lysel has. Um, so you're putting him with guys that you know are great passers, great playmakers. So if, you know, if you can't finish with uh, Brad Marshawn setting you up, then you're going to have an even harder time finishing when, uh, you know, Lauko sets you up or Greer sets you up. So you, you know, like if people are making mistakes and, and obviously there's nerves involved as well. First day of training camp uh, on the ice and nerves were, they, they're there in the beginning. Hopefully guys can kind of get them under control as the day goes on. You're playing next to David Posnock. You might be a little bit nervous, <laughs> but you're so for, Patra, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna say Patra a bunch of times, but um, being able to be there alongside David Pasternak should give him, uh, first of all, it's just probably exciting for him, but give him a chance to really show off what he can do. And and they were describing him as a playmaking center. Uh, and you know we heard Montgomery describe him a little bit. I think the very first question to Montgomery was about Patra. Um, playing next to Pasternak. So they really like the skill set that he has. And when you look at where they were placing their young centers that have that are their center prospects, he seemed to be in the best position of, of any of them in that lineup. Yeah, and you, you mentioned, you know, Montgomery, when he was asked about him, didn't just say, you know, like I gave the explanation that of, um, you know, like you want to see how he plays with NHLers, all that. And Montgomery did say that, but also said he wants to see if they had chemistry. Like he, he yeah. said chemistry. And that, you know, I, I guess in there is a possibility there that Patra does like win an NHL job this camp. And who knows, like could play with Pasternak this season. I don't expect that to happen. I think that's a little far-fetched. But somewhere down the line, I don't know, a year, two years from now, Absolutely could be a possibility. We know David Posenak's here for 
eight more years. They have high expectations for Quadra. So like there could even be that of, hey, Pasternak's going to be with Zaka this year. We know they have chemistry. They've played together. But somewhere down the road, like, I just want to get an early look at this. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it is really interesting. And we, we talked to Patra after practice as well. And he did say he was like a little nervous at first, like when he found out he's, you know, skating with David Pasternak. Um, but he said, he said like Pasternak kind of talked to him before and was like, just go and play, just have a good practice. Like don't overthink it type thing. So, um, You know, I mean, they, if you think about Pasternak, like he is a superstar, and uh, for a young kid like that, that probably looks up to him or, or you know, thinks about him as one of the best player, current players out there. He Pasternak is also someone that you might not feel that nervous around, just because of his general personality. <laughs> He's just kind of just like happy and not very uh, intimidating. Yeah, but it's like you know that can even translate on the ice, like you mentioned, you know in the context of Lysel, you know, finishing off chances or whatever. Well, for Potter, it's like, it's reversed. It's all right. Setting up Pasternak. So, you know, like you can even get nervous of like, Oh God, am I going to make a bad pass? Is it not going to be right on his tape? Like, you know, I'm going to put it behind him, make him stretch out or whatever. Or, but but it, he also will co- cover your blemishes. You might not send him the perfect pass. He'll still score. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so it's not like they did a, t- like a ton of line drills today but they definitely did some they did some five on five work and you know i think i think potter looked good for the most part you could definitely see playmaking at times he you know you worry about you know a kid like that like how's he gonna hold up physically there were a couple times that he did a pretty good job protecting the puck and then there were a couple times i noticed it you know it seemed like things happened a little too fast for him like he sort of pulled up held on and in juniors would have all that time and space where that would work. And mm-hmm. in this case, it was like someone closed on him and he turned it over. But yeah, it's, yeah you it's, expect it's, like it, it's, it's going to happen. Thing, it's a good thing to point out. He hasn't played in the AHL. He only has played juniors. And actually, if he doesn't make the Boston Bruins, he's going to go back to juniors. He's not, yeah. he's not even eligible to play in the AHL this upcoming season. So uh, which he mentioned, he said, I'm trying to win a job for Boston because it's that or juniors and I'd rather be playing in Boston. So he really has a little bit of extra motivation in his mind, or at least he's put that chip on his own shoulder to say, all right, well, if I want to be playing at a professional level, then I need to make Boston outright to start the season. Yeah. And then the other interesting uh, quote from Montgomery about, about the kids is I asked him about, Fabian Lysel and just, you know, how does it look compared to the last time you saw him? And, and Montgomery prefaced it by saying, you know, it's hard day one to really f- like fully drill down on, on watching players and, and evaluating them because like Montgomery said, it's like, I'm just trying to make sure we have a smooth first practice and like, you know, everyone's doing what they need to do in drills. Um, and, but then he said, uh, he did notice a couple of defensive mistakes, which is on the one hand, it's like, Oh, that's not good. Like if your coach, you know, mentions that first, um, then he also mentioned he likes seeing him, his aggressiveness offensively because Lysel did take some pucks right to the net and, and use his speed to drive on defenders, which is exactly what you want to see and what he has to do. 
Um, Wasn't it you that asked the question? I think it was you that that the question in Montgomery was, um, ha what have you noticed the difference between the last time you saw Lysel too? Yeah. Now? Yeah, and that and that's what prefaced that an that answer was, yeah, like you know some defensive mistakes, but also good offensive instincts and aggressiveness, and like Montgomery said, they can fix the defensive mistakes, um, mm -hmm. which he's gonna have to, you know, you, no matter who you are, like in on the Bruins in Montgomery's system, you have to at least be passable defensively. Not everyone has to be a Selkie Trophy candidate, right? David Pasternak is not. But for the most part, David Pasternak takes care of business in his own end and, you know, at least helps the team there. Like, isn't isn't a liability, um, even despite what some people might think. But generally, like, you know, we, we saw Jake DeBrusque had to improve his defensive play and has. Mm -hmm. um, like, you've got to at least be able to hold your own and be where your teammates expect you to be and make the right play with the pucks. So... Yeah, price, you know, still some some learning for Lysel to do there. Um, and I'm sure something they're going to want to see cleaned up quickly as you get into preseason games. And, you know, if he's going to make an actual push to potentially make this team, like, you can't be making a ton of mistakes in your own zone, obviously. Yeah, and this is just day one, and we're going to have a better look at it ourselves come preseason, um, come seeing it in a full 60-minute game. Uh, but if you were to use your own, you know, just describe it in your own way, because you were there, um, I'm sure you had your eyes on Lysel a bit more than you probably had them on some of the other guys that are either further away or, you know, they're, they're here, but they might be the first cut. So, um, in, with your own eyes, what did you see from Lysel if you were to describe? Well, de definitely the second, so I can't sit here and say like I noticed obvious defensive mistakes. Those are again probably details that the coaching staff is more likely to notice. But I definitely noticed the second part that Montgomery said, which was he was aggressive driving to the net and he was using his speed to to push defenders back. Um Lysel has, I think, always done that. Like he's always been aggressive. He'll go to dirty areas and sometimes, you know, not like sometimes to his own detriment where he'll get hammered and yeah. kind of put himself in harm's way, um, which is, you know, something he'll, he'll, as he plays more pro hockey, you know, he'll know when, when to go and when not to, and you know, when it's not, maybe not worth driving into, you know, two 215 pound defensemen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it, it was good to see, like he's, at least he's not playing on the outside. You see that with so many, young skill players where like they're afraid to try stuff. So yeah. And especially know. after a concussion, recent concussion. Yeah, true. Yeah. And and by the way, like another just overall takeaway from this practice, both practices, it was physical. Like they're nothing dirty, but like there was hitting, you know, there were, there was guys getting knocked down. And yeah. I asked Montgomery about that as well afterwards. And he said like, yeah, we want that because one of the things he highlighted that they want more of this season. He said it yesterday. He said it today is they want to be more physical. They, you know, that doesn't have to be necessarily like a ton of big hits, but he wants them to be a more physical team at both ends of the ice. He wants them winning more net front battles. So, you know, you like the first session, um, Jackson Edward finished 
a good hit on Martian behind the net where Martian kind of had the puck on the boards and tried to sort of tried to like cut back and, and open himself up a little. And Jackson Ed- Edward to his credit didn't fall for the fake and finish the hit, which is like, Queen. you know, you want, you want to talk about a kid making an impression. I mean, you're, you're hitting the new captain, like 15 minutes into practice one. Um, you, you could tell like, hit, right? it was not like a, no, it was, it was totally okay. clean. It was, it was a good <laughs> hit. Um, and then Marshan got up, kind of like gave him a shove. Then McAvoy had the puck, and Marshan like kind of cross checked McAvoy to be completely honest, but knocked McAvoy over. And McAvoy was slow to get up, but he was fine. But it's like that sort of set the tone. The second session, Alex Chieson was probably the most physical player on the ice between the two sessions. Uh, he landed a hard hit on Mason Lorai, which was sort of, you know, one of those, yeah, you know, welcome, welcome to pro hockey kid type moments. Like, Laura had the puck on the boards, and I think I don't know if he thought Chason was gonna pull up or like not finish the hit, but Chason just drove right through him. Um Chason also got a scrap with Mark McLaughlin, who knocked Chason over, and then Chason came right back at him. And that that was the one time I thought, like, ooh, I wonder like I wonder if this is gonna actually turn into something. But they both like finished this the shift and and were fine, but um well, Montgomery someone asked him about like what do you remember your first day of training camp as like as a rookie like back when Montgomery was first coming into the NHL he said yeah there was a lot more fights back then in camp yeah. and so we didn't see any today but yeah but it, it's clear that like there's there's a tone being set though like they you know because like I, I honestly like when I asked the question I almost sort of tiptoed around of like you know, do you like seeing that as long as it doesn't cross the line or whatever? And he was like, he was like, yeah, we want to see it. Like we, we want that. We want to be a more physical team. We want these guys out there competing. Like, like they're, you know, some of them are fighting for jobs. So like they should, they should act like it. I'll tell you right now. I don't want to watch Milan Lucci hit David Pasternak in training camp. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be that. (laughs) I will say there was one, so I think Connor Ryan tweeted the clip, but during like they do two on two drills at center ice. So it's, you know, a lot of open ice and Pasana drove to drove around the defender to the net and finished. And I couldn't catch who the defender was, but I was like, if that was a game against an opponent, they're probably like drilling Pasana into the post as he cuts across. But they, in this case, he just let Pasana go. So there was a a little bit a little bit of pulling up at times guys not finishing but um no for the most part though you know guys guys are throwing their bodies around yeah and when you, when you think about the way you need to construct an nhl team when you know you know you don't necessarily have the amount of skill you had on your team last year one way to try to counter it or at least a classic way in the past that teams have tried to counter it is to be more physical so when you think about that 2011 cup winning team that was a more physical team than vancouver and eventually that ended up being a deciding factor um in why the bruins won the cup that year the sedines had so much skill that that team had a a lot of skill but they were a little bit more shy to hit back uh vancouver was so uh you bring back lucci and you bring back uh, you know, someone who was on that cup winning team, but and somebody who is one of the most physical players in the NHL, and that's why fans like him. 
And when he was first brought back that pre-agency day that the Bruins went out and signed so many different people, his name stuck out because Boston fans already knew who he was. And there's already so many Lucci jerseys out there walking around the street before he, you know, from years ago when, when he uh, was on the team. But uh, he's more than just a fan favorite. They are actually using him in that new philosophy of just being a more physical team than last year. Yeah, definitely. And and so I guess, you know, before wrapping up um, on Lucic and, and kind of along the same lines of like how they lined up, it was interesting to see Lucic on a line with Johnny Beecher and Jacob Lauko. Um, that was in the second session. And another line during that session was, I mentioned Chieson, he was with Patrick Brown and AJ Greer. And it's like all six of those players are guys probably battling for fourth line jobs. There might be a third line spot for someone out of that group. But realistically, it's like either one of those lines could be their fourth line. Some combination out of those six guys could be the fourth line. Mm -hmm. But, you know, put two faster players with Lucic, Beecher and Lauko, like, those those two can fly, so that's you know it, it both. I, I think probably maybe pushes Lucic a little bit. Like, all right, you know, here's two kids who are going to be flying around, and then the other line, like that's just three. I think bigger physical players, Greer, Brown, and Chieson, and you know, Brown was signed with the idea that he's going to be the fourth line center. Johnny Beecher, if he's going to make the team, that's you know, that's a spot to target. And we talked to Beecher after practice mm -hmm. and he was asked that he was like, you know, are you targeting fourth line center? And he said, yeah, you know, I think obviously play anywhere, but he was like, yeah, that's, you know, a spot I would be comfortable playing. And I think I could succeed there. Um, you know, Greer was on the team last year. His spot's not guaranteed. Same with Lauko. Like he had especially a really good second half, but He's got to fight for a spot again. So it's like all these guys, you know, you put them together. I'm sure Montgomery wants to see, you know, do different combinations have chemistry, but it's, it's also, all right, who kind of stands out from, from these two groups. Yeah. And so you might not know the, the answer to this, and this is something I'm going to be paying attention to during the preseason, but in terms of speed feature, we know he's a good skater. Lauko, We've seen at the NHL level his speed. What about Patra? Is he, if you were to compare his speed to those two guys, he's he's not a he's not a burner. Um, certainly not like like those guys. He's not he's not slow, but he's, um, yeah, I would just say like he's not he's not a super fast skater. Um, he creates space more with his smarts and and just kind of thinking the game at a high level, especially when he was in juniors last year, like he's certainly smarter than, you know, a lot of the 17, 18 year olds he's facing. Um, you know, we'll see how much that translates at the pro level as he continues through camp and preseason here. But, you know, I, I made the comparison before and it it's, it's a lofty comparison, but I'm, it's just like stylistically, like I see Krejci, you know, the, the, the way he sees the game, his patience, the way he'll slow things down. And then, yeah, not being like the world's most talented skater where he's blowing by guys. Like, I see similarities there. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. I think he's going to be the next David Krejci. Just, 
like he has that ceiling. He could be, but like just stylistically, I, I, I see similarities there. And once again, you've talked to him in person. I have, haven't had a chance to, I wasn't able to go to rookie camp. Um, and I, I wasn't there yesterday. Um, but, uh, now that Red Sox season's winding down, I'll be able to more transition into the Bruins side of things. So, um, I haven't gotten a chance to see him like stand next to him, ask him questions. His size is his size, something that might be a drawback or might, might be holding him back from quite being at the NHL level. Yeah, I mean he he is smaller. I think he's listed at what five ten, five eleven, maybe. But didn't and he seem kind of a skinny, skinny little guy? Yeah, he, yeah. he could definitely <laughs> he could definitely afford to still bulk up up more, for sure. But again, I think he's at least at the levels he's been at so far, he's smart enough to not really put himself in harm's way and like take heavy hits. Mm-hmm. Again, that's going to be that'll be something that's going to be fascinating to watch, especially as he gets out against opposing teams in the preseason is, you know, cause I think I remember like Fabian Lysel's first preseason game. Um, I remember him taking like a pretty heavy hit and he was fine. He bounced pop right back up, but it was sort of, you know, that kind of moment of like, yep, that just happens faster here. Like you didn't have the space you thought you did. And yeah. that'll probably happen with, with Potter at some point. Um, but yeah, like I don't think he doesn't need to be jacked because his style just isn't overly physical, but he could probably stand to put on a little more muscle. Yeah, and it, and we're well before these decisions are being made on who makes the roster and who doesn't. On um, at least, you know, the we still have a full preseason to go until that, but I if if there's a competition between Beecher, Brown, Patra for that fourth line center spot. I think that the coaching staff and management for the Bruins could probably talk themselves into sending Patra back to juniors to just get a little bit, you know, mature a little bit uh, physically uh, and not put him out there. I, I don't know. I could see that as like a determining factor if all other things were equal. Like, okay, well, maybe we'll send him back to to juniors and get him on a regimen to put a little bit more weight on and, you know, that kind of thing. Cause you can't, I mean, you can't put, you can put weight on overnight, but you can't put it on overnight in muscle. So it takes takes a while to bulk the right way with muscle and not, you know, and and not put yourself too far the other way. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, he's also just a different style player than those guys were, like he almost might have to win the third line center job if he's going to make the team. S- same with someone like Georgie Merkulov. Like, it, we're used to we the Bruins. We about Jack Stanika as well back when he was trying to break in, and then the argument being that he's right. not like that fourth line is more meant as like a more of a physical line, more of a defensive style line. Yeah, it, like that's what it's always been for the you know under Cassidy and then last year under Montgomery as well is they've always used the fourth line that way doesn't mean they have to keep doing it like they could change but just based on what we know like what we've seen you wouldn't think Patra or Merkulov is the is the fourth line center you would think it's someone more like Patrick Brown who has played that kind of role in the NHL already 
or Johnny Beecher, who is a good two-way player and, you know, has played lower in the lineup before, right? He was, he was a third line center on a loaded Michigan team and mm-hmm. took on like a lot of the defensive assignments there. So he has experience doing that. Like he seems like a better, a more natural fit there. Again, if, I don't know, you know, if, if Potra blows them away and they're like, you know what, we're okay with playing him on the fourth line and it's not going to be a shutdown line and what, you know, we'll balance defensive responsibilities between the other three lines, like whatever. But like you put him, but like, think about it. You put him next to Lucci. Like, does that make sense? Does that it, seem like a good fit? Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like the ideal spot for him to start, mm-hmm. honestly, but which is again, why I think more likely it's for, for a Potra or Merkulov, if they're going to make the team as centers, it's probably more Morgan geeky. They have to beat out for third line center than yeah. it is, you know, Patrick Brown or Johnny Beecher on the fourth line. Like that's, I kind of see that fourth line center bat, at least as of now being Brown versus Beecher. Um, what about McLaughlin? Yeah. He, I mean, he's in there too. Like he, so he, he played wing today and obviously at the NHL level, he's played almost exclusively wing when he's been in there. I think I think he might have to make the team as a wing, but he'll get a look at center during camp and preseason, I, I assume. Um, you know, he did play some center in Providence last year. So, sure, he's in the competition, but it, it sort of feels to me like he might have to make it as a wing and be be kind of like, like a Trent Frederick where it's, all right, you know, you're, you're going to be a wing, but in a pinch, we can move you over to center type thing. Um, just for, for whatever reason, it doesn't really seem like he has as straight of a, of a shot of making it as a center. Again, even just taking into account like where he was lined up today, day one of camp, he's playing, he's playing right wing. Now it's on a line with Zaka and James Van Riemsdyk, which is, you know, a good spot to be. Um, but yeah, I guess that that'll definitely be something to monitor as, as we go forward is, you know, does he get practices or, or games as a center? I feel like depth is kind of built up around him as well. If you know yeah. what I mean, like other wingers are developing. Definitely. Other centers are developing and you kind of feel like he's more on the outside looking in necessarily than he has been in training camps in the past. And including he made his NHL debut when he first signed um, with the Bruins, but he's gotten fewer and fewer opportunities after that. So he really has to beat out a lot of people in order to make it say directly from preseason into Boston. I'm not talking about during the season, but like if we're talking about out of uh, camp, out of preseason, starting with Boston, I feel like it's kind of an uphill battle for him. I, I, I think he's still very much right in the mix. Like I don't, I don't necessarily think he's on the outside looking in or anything. And I, and I actually thought, him being lined up where he was today, like with NHLers, I feel like was an encouraging sign because there is like in both sessions, there was still the, like the fifth line was all prospects and AHL guys. And like, that's where like an Oscar Steen and a Justin Brazo and Luke Toporowski, Curtis Hall, um, Trevor hey, Kuntar. My, my guy Curtis Hall from Yale. Yep. I and broadcast his last John, season there. 
John Farinacci was in that group. And like, I always look at that group and I'm like, oh, those are the guys they don't expect to really make a push. That said, you know who started in that group last year and made the team was Jacob Lauko. So it's not impossible. Like if, if you impress, you impress no matter where you're doing it from. But I did kind of feel like McLaughlin being in the group with the NHLers and not just in like that extra fifth line group, at least tells me like they, they consider him in the mix. Like he's, he's on their radar to start. He doesn't have to, you know, they're going to be looking at him no matter what, like he doesn't have to, you know, come out of left field out of nowhere to, to get on people's radar. No, no, that's not what I meant. I just mean like when you look at who they brought in as free agents, um, that have NHL experience. When you look at the amount of people that are vying for bottom six roles, there's a lot more players than can make the team that are in the mix for that. So um, now, is there anything else from training camp? We haven't talked about defensemen. I know Mason Lori was lined up with uh, Brennan Carlo. Uh, how much did you get to see of that pairing? What did you think of that? Yeah, the, so the defense was mixing and matching a little bit more, but yeah, that I thought I thought Laura looked solid. It wasn't the best I've ever seen him look, and getting knocked down by Chieson was, you know, that was, like I said, like that was sort of the yeah that that happens faster here, like head up, you know. Um, but yeah, there there was some mixing and matching on defense, and it was the same sort of idea with like guys. Um, you know, sort of like a younger player with a vet, like McAvoy was with uh Parker Wotherspoon, who they signed up from the Islanders AHL team. Uh Hambus Lindholm was with Riley Walsh, one of the young D they brought in. Um just looking through. Forber was with Ian Mitchell, one of the guys they got in Taylor Hall trade. The other guy they got in, you know, from the Blackhawks in that deal, Alec Regula was with Grizzlick. So um, I feel like, I feel like I just paid more attention to the forwards, honestly, like nothing really jumped out to me um, other than like, like I said, like the, that Jackson Edward hit on Marshand, like that catches your attention. Um, Just trying to run through my notes quickly here, but other than that, like, I don't think anyone really stood out. But in fairness, like I said, I probably was just paying closer attention to the to the forwards, which I sort of, like, noticed with maybe, like, 20 minutes left in practice. I was like, I just have more notes on forwards. Bad, you know. Well, we, we kind of talked about it in our episode just, last week. more obvious there's, battles there, yeah. Yeah, and that, like, defensively, they have a strong decor. It's not like we're talking about looking at centers. We've we already knew going into this this was going to be focusing on centers very heavily, and then Lori and Lysel just because of um, those two guys being two of the top prospects they have coming up um, with an outside chance of making the team. But uh, it's it's all eyes on the centers really uh, when you think about it. Question about the goaltending because you've just noted one- before. One last thought just before we get away from okay. the centers. Another thing that could potentially work in Beach's favor is that he is a left shot center who's good on face offs. And 
Montgomery had mentioned on Wednesday when he was asked about Trent Frederick, and he said, no, Frederick's probably staying on the wing, but he wants Frederick to work on face-off so they have another left-shot option because right now, if you line up, you know, who's expected to be the centers, Pavel Zak is the only lefty. Um, and Montgomery was asked today, like, could that be something that potentially gives Beecher an edge? And he said, absolutely. So they want another lefty who can take face-offs and win face-offs. And they would like for it to be Trent Frederick because they know he's going to be on the team anyways, but it also could be Beecher. Like that could work in his favor. Yeah. And, and Frederick's a guy that we're going to go back and forth probably throughout preseason. I wonder, you know, talking about whether or not he could end up as one of the centers, even though um, we've mentioned the other guys a lot more as center options, but I wonder if we'll see Montgomery play him at center at all in the preseason, or if he's already predetermined he's more of a winger this year going forward. Because I know on breakup day, Frederick was asked about the potential of getting more time at center of Krejci and Bergeron retire, and he said he was excited for that. So I wonder how much Frederick still views himself as a center. I so the when he was at Jimmy Funds. Um, yeah, I think he was kind of asked about that and I, I, whether he really feels this way or he's just saying it, but like, I get the impression that he legitimately does feel comfortable again, all three forward spots now. Mm-hmm. And it's probably now just a situation where it's like, as long as he's playing an important role in like getting minutes, like I'm sure he wants more minutes than last year and he can get that even if he's still a winger. So you know, he really didn't play much special teams at all last year. He could absolutely be more involved on the penalty kill this year at the very least, because they lost several penalty killers. So, um, you know, I think, I don't know. It seems to me like he's pretty comfortable on, on the wing. And he, he has said, I don't know if it was Jimmy fund or if it was um, another day that we talked to him, but he did say he liked playing right, right wing last year. Like it was, it was pretty new to him, but he, you know, in part and Montgomery's mentioned, this is like when he's on the right side, he can, he can open up and like be in better position to shoot. And he scored a career high 17 goals last year. So you, Mm -hmm. you see the benefits of that. And I think, I think Frederick understands that. Like if, you know, if they're like, Hey, we're keeping you in the wing, but part of the reason we're doing that is because we want you to be one of our goal scorers. Like, you know, we want you to improve on 17 goals last year. We need guys to, to pick it up and, and score more. And this is a way we, we see you being able to help us do that. It is going to be interesting for him though, because he, he had that career high year, but he was next to Charlie Coyle, who he had established a lot of chemistry with. And that's just not where he's going to shake out this year because Coyle having to move up um, and it's going to take him away from Frederick. So I don't know how many guys are going to be having career years this year the way that they did last season. It's going to be different. And for Frederick, he's going to have to be someone who finds new chemistry with whoever is on that line with him. Yeah, definitely. I do think Morgan Geeky has like some coil attributes. Like he is like a bigger body. He, you know, he's a good four checker. Like he, he will protect pucks. So not saying he's, you know, an exact coil replica, like he's not, but there's some similarities there. Like, I don't think 
I don't think Trent Frederick's going to hit the ice with Morgan Geeky and be like, whoa, this is, this is a totally different kind of player. Like, what's going on? Like, no, I, I, th- I think he'll see some things and be like, oh, yeah, that worked with me and Charlie last year. And like, we can still do that. So um, that could at least help. Yeah, that if they're a similar style, then, but it is, it is different in that Charlie Coyle is someone that Frederick talked about helping him out in his career on and off the ice. So there was a, an off the ice relationship there, comfortability level there that's not just hockey related. Um, so he's, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that too. Evolving situation with him. All the lines are looking different. Um, few, few questions for you as well. Quickly about the goalies. Um, it's hard to kind of judge goalies in training camp. Um, anything, any takeaways goaltender wise? Um, Michael DiPietro had, I think the, the best stretch of any goalie that I saw where during, so that like two on two center ice drill, I mentioned with like open ice, he denied a breakaway, got knocked over, lost his stick, made a glove save without his stick. And then like 10 seconds later, denied, denied another breakaway. Um, so like that jumped out. But yeah, other than that, like as they're just going through drills, it's like they're just facing a million shots. And it's, you know, I can't say anything really jumped out one one way or the other. Um, well, but I know Swayman, Swayman was the goalie that was available to the media after um, I yeah. heard some of his comments. Yeah, he, he was good. And, and I, I asked him about like, you know, because obviously we all know that it's all Mark and Swayman at the NHL level. There's, there's not a goalie competition there, you know, mate, like there's barely even a comp, it's really not even a competition for a starting job because we all expect that they're just going to split time again, or, you know, more or less split time. Um, but I did ask him about like, you know, Bussy, DiPietro, Kyle Kaiser, like those are all goals kind of getting to a point in the careers where it's like, all right, it's, it's time to push, you know, like they all probably feel like they're getting close to being NHL ready. And, you know, and Swain was like, yeah, like it's, it's great to have, you know, to be pushed, to have guys. And he's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of goalies who want my job. And he's like, you know, that like, I, it's motivation to, to fight that off and be like, no, like I'm not going to let anyone take, take this job from me. So I think he said, I see every goalie in the NHL as like my competition for this yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, which is like exactly what you want to hear, right? Like you, you never want anyone, even though we know certain guys are, should feel very comfortable in their spots and aren't really being challenged. Like you still want something to motivate guys. You still want everyone to have, you know, something that's, getting them up for the season, right? Like you don't, you don't want anyone coasting through training camp because it's going to be hard to flip the switch come opening night if you haven't been going hard. So um, yeah, just organization. I think like goaltending in general is fascinating to watch because all three of those guys I mentioned should be in the AHL. DPH was the odd man out who spent a lot of last season in the ECHL, but he's, I mean, honestly, like he's too good for that level. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a little surprised they brought all three back. All three needed new contracts this summer. 
and they all got it. And it's like, that's, it's hard to rotate three goalies at Providence. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that ends up playing out. Like if they are all in Providence or if someone, you know, I guess probably DiPietro gets stuck in the ECHL again, or if there's potentially still a trade to come, not necessarily an old Marcus Swayman trade, but you know, one of those, one of those minor leaguers. Yeah. And, and it'd be, so somebody that will probably try to get on during preseason uh, that we know has a good gauge on the prospects that we've had on before Mark Dibber um, to kind of help us go through some of those battles and maybe a little bit more history behind um, what some of the guys did in the AHL and, and uh, whatnot. And then it would be interesting if we could get Razor on for say there's a good goalie performance by someone that's not all Mark or Swayman uh, in the preseason and just get his thoughts on that. Um, Cause he is, you know, another member of the Odyssey team. So we get, we, we tend to get him on uh, when we can, but I do have. Yeah. yeah and, and Razor's worked with Brandon Bussey in the past. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be good to talk to him about the, the depth at that position and just good to talk to him in general. Um, but so Two questions for you. I'll start with this one. We still have time left to go in camp and in preseason. Is there anyone in particular that you want to talk to? Any of the players that you have like a burning question for um, that you haven't had a chance to ask yet? Hmm. I, I want to talk. So I definitely want to talk to Zach at some point soon, just because like, obviously, you know, it is a, new bigger role for him and just sort of gauge where he's at. Like, I, not that I expect anything like explosive to come out of that, but I just think like he, he's obviously such a fascinating player going into this season because yeah, it's, it's him and coil stepping into those two roles, but the coil part of it, it's like, he's been here so long. Like we've talked to him so much. It's, you know what you're getting there. Um, both just in terms of his approach, in terms of what he's going to say. He has already gone through a camp where he was the number two center. Like he did that two years ago. And obviously he ended up not lasting there the whole season, but Zaka, like I know he played center down the stretch last year when Krejci was out. And then during the playoffs when Krejci and Bergeron were out, but things are happening so fast at that point that like there's no there's no time to reflect. There's no time to think. Like you're just you're just going in and doing it and playing. Now it's like, okay, now that he's had a whole summer to prepare to be the number one or at worst number two center. And you know, I, I just think it's gonna be really interesting to hear like just sort of what this has all been like for him. And that's funny because that was my second question, which was that you put in for um, Pavel Zaka to join the podcast, do a little interview with you at some point this week. You think we'll have that uh, available? You haven't talked to him yet, oh, but yeah, ho- hopefully N- nothing finalized yet, but yeah, hoping to potentially have him as a podcast guest. Yeah. And it, it is kind of something we've glossed over because it's, it's like almost like we penciled him in with such a small sample size and you almost forget about the small sample size because of all the other dramatics that were happening in the playoffs and you know, him having to come in short notice and he did a good job, but who is to say that that's how he's going to be for, you know, months on end. 
he came in and did the job, uh, you know, in a high pressure situation, but he was the winger on, on that check line for most of the season. So we haven't really fully seen that. I, I think everybody's confident in him. I haven't heard anyone say otherwise. I feel pretty confident that he can do it, but he's mostly been a winger uh, over the past few seasons from New Jersey to Boston. So that is an interesting storyline. So I'm going to get you some questions I want you to ask him as well. <laughs> I will, I will also say on, on Zaki, because that just reminded me of one of the highlights from today uh, during that like two on two drill. Pasternak had dangled between Forbert and Carlo and then dished over to Zaka for a one-timer that he just absolutely roofed over. I, mm, I don't know if it was Swayman. I, I forget the goalie, but um, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, like that that's a connection the Bruins Bruins want to see, whether it's Pasternak to Zaka or, or the other way around. But obviously those two weren't, on the same line, all of practice, but they did end up together in that drill. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that'll be good. Hopefully we get that soon. Post that up, ramping things up here on the skate pod as the season gets closer and closer and Red Sox wind down, Bruins wind up. Um, One last storyline that I know was brought up and that is something that will be a storyline throughout the season, unless it gets taken care of before the season starts. And that is an extension for Jake DeBrusque. Um, I believe Sweeney was asked about this. Um, I had seen a quote somewhere about those two camps trying to come together potentially and get something done before the season starts. Yeah. I was going to say, we also have to talk about Martian being captain. Um, but oh, yeah. Well, we've mentioned that a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> we, we have, but we'll, We'll get quick reactions. Um, but yeah, on DeBrusque. So uh, DeBrusque said in an interview like last week or two weeks ago that, you know, he, he does want to stay in Boston and he would be interested in getting an, an extension done. Uh, Sweeney was asked about it and basically it sounded like they haven't talked yet, but they will be soon. So I imagine that happens during camp. Um, but yeah, Sweeney was like, yeah, obviously, you know, first of all, we just have to, figure out, you know, if he does want to stay here and then try to find common ground. But he also said that they, you know, they do have interest in keeping DeBrusque around. So, um, yeah, certainly you could, you could see something get done. And I, I wrote something a few weeks ago and we, we talked about it on here of, you know, what DeBrusque's next contract might look like, um, you know, numbers wise, like <laughs> that's why my cat fails. Visitor. <laughs> there we go visitor on youtube it's... this is daisy yeah <laughs> she doesn't like being held like that <laughs> see this, this is why people gotta watch you never know when one of bridget's many animals is gonna stop it, by at least once at least once so <laughs> um i have no authority <laughs> uh but yeah so so it sounds like there's probably mutual interest but they just haven't actually sat down and talked or obviously exchange numbers yet but that will be fascinating like i could i could potentially see it coming together quickly it you know like if you go back to the last extension debrus signed that seemed to come come together pretty quickly because he had had a trade request in all season and then things had turned around really just in like the that like month month and a half leading up to the trade deadline and all of a sudden trade deadline deal 
trade deadline day, he signs a two-year extension. Um, so this could be another quick one, but it also could be a much longer deal, much more money. And that, you know, tends to complicate things and drag out negotiations. So it may very well continue into the season. And, you know, we saw last year with Pasternak, he goes out and has a great year and we know his price went up, um, you know, from where everyone thought he might land before the season to where he actually ended up going. Um, you know, in that case, like Pasternak waiting worked out great for him and the Bruins probably wound up spending more money than they were originally hoping to. Um, you know, something similar could happen with DeBrusque or he could have a quiet start and his value goes down, which isn't good because that means that's a bad sign for your team. Like you need Jake DeBrusque to be a big contributor, Mm -hmm. but you know, if he does have another gets off to another good start and has another season like last year or one that's even better then, yeah, the, the longer he goes without a contract, the naturally the more the price will go up. Yeah. And sometimes people play better in a contract year. So maybe there's a little bit extra motivation for him if it doesn't get done before the season starts. However, circumstances were different for him last year than they are this year. And you don't want your value to go down now that you're not playing on, you know, the same top line with Marshawn and Bergeron. So uh, there is a, a risk in that, in him waiting to sign, I think, as well. So uh, quickly, Brad Marshawn is the Bruins' next captain. I, none of us are surprised by this. None of the players are surprised by this. It seemed like the natural way to go after Bergeron left. So um, a lot has been made about his past, about his licking, about his, his on-ice antics. And he's done a lot over the last few seasons, in particular, uh, the 2022-23 season, I think you saw kind of that final shift in character towards a more mature Brad Marchand, uh, a leader, somebody that in the absence of Bergeron during the playoffs really um, stepped up vocally and um, tried to take the lead on the ice as well. So uh, I don't, I don't know about you, (laughs) not a surprise. Um, And I think he'll be a good captain. I don't, I don't, I know the emotions for him have been something that in the past he wasn't able to control, but it's also something that's made him a better player because he can bring that energy. Uh, is there any concerns you have about him as a captain? Because on my end, I think the right choice. Um, I think you had to give it to him. I don't really know. I think giving it to one of the younger guys would have been a big snub to him. Uh, and he seems like the natural guy to give it to. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, like we, we all expected it here. I know some people thought it might be McAvoy or, or maybe wanted it to be McAvoy. Um, to, and we talked about this at the time, like to me, what sealed it was seeing him take control of captain's practices right from the start of those. It's like, Oh yeah. Like that's the captain. Like, mm-hmm. duh. Um, yeah. Captain's practices without a like named captain was kind of a weird thing from the start. And he even yeah. mentioned it in his thing. He was like, I was wondering when they were going to talk to me. Like, what? I thought it would be before. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but, you know, so, I mean, he's been alternate captain for several years now. He really was Bergeron's right-hand man, not just on the ice because they're on the same line, but off it. Once, Char- you know, for years it was Char is the captain and Bergeron is 
technically the alternate captain, but like really the co-captain. Mm-hmm. When Chara left, was, technically he was his left-hand man. All right, yeah. Wait, wait to wait to get technical on me here, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but then when Chara left and Bergeron gets to see, yeah, it was okay. So that very first season, it was Martian and Krejci. And that's a little different, right? Because, like, Krejci had also been there a long time. So, like, that was... They were all kind of in it together. Then when Krejci goes abroad for a year, like, that was the first time where it was like, all right, Martian's clearly second in line. Like, he's now, you know, if not the co-captain to Bergeron, like, he's the top alternate captain. We've seen that other A rotate quite a bit over the last couple years where... Sometimes it's McAvoy, sometimes it's Pasternak. Even like, you know, I think Brandon Carlo Ward at one point, like even a couple other guys, Felino Ward sometimes. So, but Martian was the one constant. So that kind of told you like he's he's next in line. And then I think last year in the playoffs when they go down to Florida and Bergeron doesn't make the trip, everything everyone said was like Martian took control. Like Martian stepped up in the room. Montgomery said that on Wednesday. He was like, you know, I sort of like I saw it then, saw that it was Marshan's room uh without Bergeron in there. So yeah, he's not he's not gonna be the same exact kind of leader as Char and Bergeron. He said that himself yesterday. He was like, you know, there's a lot that I learned from them that I want to keep doing, but also I'm not them, so I can't <laughs> do exactly what they did. Um he's almost like the polar opposite to Bergeron. <laughs> yeah, like I I I think he will be you know, I think he will be more fiery at times. And like, I don't even think that's a bad change, honestly, because I think there have probably been times where the Bruins could have used more of that. And and during the playoffs last year was probably one of them. Like they, they entered the playoffs with, I, I wouldn't call it arrogance, but they were very calm, confident. And like, they, they never did came anywhere close to panicking, but it's almost like, maybe more urgency was needed at some point, you know, like maybe some sort of fire being lit under them, maybe someone, you know, stepping up and and giving a a passionate speech, like might've been needed. Like maybe they were almost too calm where it's like, we're going to figure it out guys. Like we're not going to lose this series. Don't worry. Like we're, we're going to get it right. And it's like, I don't know, maybe someone needed to step up and be like, get your fucking head out of your ass, you know, like who knows? So like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing uh, that Martian might lead a little differently. No, I don't think so either. But I, I question what could have been the difference last playoffs and none of us know. So uh, you you could could have point to a lot of things, but anyway, not to get back into that. Uh, (laughs) So Marshawn had a press conference. Cam Neely spoke about it. uh, Don Sweeney, Spoke about it as well, um, and Pasternak and uh, McAvoy given the A's at the same time. So makes a lot of sense to me. Makes a lot of sense to you. I think we could speak for Brian as well <laughs> that all of that kind of lines up. Uh, no surprise there. Yeah, and I guess last thing from me is like on the idea of you know his suspension history and all of that. I mean, look, like until he gets to the end of his career without another incident, it's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not 
let's not forget, like it was only two seasons ago that he got suspended twice for a total of nine games. Now, I don't know that like either of those things were the most egregious things he's ever done, right? One was a slew foot of Oliver Ekman Larson that kind of to me just seemed more of like a clumsy play than any. Like, I don't think he was intentionally trying to slew foot him. It was just he just kind of went into a hit awkwardly and like his leg was in a bad spot. And then there was the Tristan Jerry thing, which was extremely stupid, but like obviously wasn't going to actually hurt Tristan Jerry. Um, but Martian got six games for that, which is the longest mm-hmm. suspension of his career. And that was and that's not because- even, you know, that was what, not even two calendar years ago. So, um, but he gets it, it becomes the longest of his. It would have been a two game suspension for someone that didn't have a history, but because right. of the history, he gets it. Yeah, and I, and I think that was one of the wake up calls. Like, so Marshall was asked yesterday, you know, like, had, was there some sort of wake up call at some point along the way? And and he pointed to the Ryan Callahan licking thing as like <laughs> something like he 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 regretted and was like, is this really how I want to be remembered? Like, he was already one of the best players in the NHL at that point, and it's like, do I, like do I really want to be remembered as like the guy who licks someone or? Do I want to just like play hockey and be remembered as a great hockey player? So he pointed to that. Unfortunately, I, I think it's already kind yeah, of. <laughs> I think that's always well, people be like it's too late. Uh, everybody that I talk to that's not a Bruins fan is like, "Oh, you lick people." Like, yeah. Oh, your captain licks someone. Right. Um, but like, I also think I think that Tristan Jerry suspension was also a turning point and like another wake up call. And again, that this is why. You can't, you can't say with one hundred percent confidence that he's like totally past it because it's like, well, there's been multiple wake up calls. But I, he even said at the time he was like, yeah, like he got six games because of his history. And if you remember, like when he did that, Bergeron had gotten hurt either it was either earlier that same game or like the game before, and they so they they were without Bergeron, and it's like, oh well, okay, obviously Martian's gonna have to step up. And then he does that and he gets himself suspended. And it's like, yeah, like that, not that it put them in danger of like missing the playoffs or anything, but the Bruins weren't totally secure in like their playoff spot. Like, remember they didn't win the division that season. Um, you know, and it was like, that was like a moment where he legitimately just let the team down. Cause it's like now they end up going like two weeks without him or Bergeron playing. And it's like, yeah, tough spot to, to put your team in, bud. like that, that's not good. Um, he and, was you know, suspended. So I, he was suspended for the Winter Classic in 2016, I think. Yeah. Yep. He was suspended for that game, which I I went to. Um, I was in college, and I went to freezing cold. Uh, they got badly beaten by the Canadians, and one of the reasons was because Marshawn was not there. So a lot of people who traveled far to come see the Winter Classic uh, and the event that got put on there. Didn't get to see Brad Marshawn because he was suspended. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, I also think that was kind of a moment of, like, all right, like, I I really need to do cut the shit because, like, yeah, he wasn't hurting Tristan Jerry. He wasn't trying to hurt him. But he did something really dumb, and it hurt the team. And it's like, all right, like, you, you just can't do that anymore. And I And I think he's – I think you've seen him take, like – he – especially talking about like the C it's 
he clearly appreciates it and has like a ton of respect for what it means. And he has a ton of respect for the legacies of Bergeron and Char. And like, he knows it's his job now to carry that on. And, you know, certainly the, the Martian we've heard both at the start of captain's practices and yesterday after he officially was named captain is someone who is like very honored and grateful and does not take this for granted at all. Like he clearly appreciates sort of the weight of it. Um, and, you know, I, I think he is going to be a good captain. Like it, I know mm-hmm. you, you said that, but yeah, like definitely um, just because it, like, it clearly matters to him and he's, he's going to give it his all. And like he said, he's like, I'm not going to be perfect right from the start, but he'll put in the work because he's seen, he saw the work Bergeron put into it. He saw the work Char put into it. Not, you know, it's not just being a great player and talking to the refs on the ice and whatever, or, you know, leading drills. It's building like a whole, it's building the team. It's bringing everyone together. It's, it's checking, checking on guys, you know, making sure everyone's in a good spot. Like it's all of that stuff. And I think he's already been doing some of that as Bergeron's assistant. And now it's on him to, you know, to be the leader. And by the way, it's worth mentioning that the guys he trains with in the offseason, Sidney Crosby uh, and Nathan McKinnon are some guys he trains with. And Crosby's been a captain now for 17 seasons. So he's not just learned from Chara Bergeron. Like he's around other guys that have been captains like Sidney Crosby. Um, and yeah, I think he'll he'll do well in that role. He's come a long way from licking people. Um, and I thought of this when you were in the middle of talking about Marshawn suspensions, but, uh, you know, who deserved a suspension last season, the camera guy that hit me in the head during Brad Marshawn's, uh, exit. Uh, I don't want to say exit interviews, but like on breakup day, yeah, uh, I went to talk to Marshawn and some guy, I still don't know who it was, hit me so hard in the head with a camera that Brad Marshawn was like, are you okay? No, and then yeah. he used my head as a tripod. And I will find you. And you will be suspended. Yeah, luckily that was, you know, that was in the room and we were able to carry Bridget over to concussion protocol and she, she got well, evaluated. I, like, I, I, I needed Brad to get on my side and like let me know who <laughs> it was that hit me in the head and, and be like, just like help me take him on because I'm like, I, I'm not even kidding you. I went through the footage from every news site that day to try to find out the cameraman that was behind me that hit me. And I still don't know who it was. I had our friend Angie help me try to figure it out too. I will find you. <laughs> <laughs> I also got in the head with multiple microphones. Well, and then if that, that happens again this year, I swear to God. I mean, that's nor like the microphones. I think you kind of just have to accept, but I know yeah, who hit me with the microphones. Yeah. Getting, getting crushed with the camera though. That's, that's not fun. He used me as a tripod. <laughs> he literally balanced the camera on my head. And I was just looking around at people like Elaine and even Marshawn. I was like, does anyone see this? I'm not a tripod. <laughs> I was that day. <laughs> yeah, you only got two legs. I'm, I mean, yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to get suspended next season if someone else hits me <laughs> in the face with something because I'm done with it. I'm over it. 
Dan Roach, don't hit me with your microphone again. <laughs> people, people are going to be swinging their microphones around Bridges' face like Marshan swinging a stick at Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to lick him, but I might hit him. I'm <laughs> not sure yet. All right. Anyway, my phone is about to die. had to record this on my phone because my laptop crapped out. I also broke my phone at a wedding, but still works. So Bridges laptop on physically unable to perform to start training. Camp. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm worried it's a season-ending injury, <laughs> career-ending injury. I need a new one. All right. Well, I have nothing else to say either. So I think we're good. <laughs>